We're playing the long game. We're here for the long term as a company. We want to be here for a long time. What ultimately compelled you to decide to found Flutterwave and start your own business? The biggest one was really just seeing that payment is broken in Africa. GB is unquestionably a leader in the African tech ecosystem, but until now, he's largely remained quiet. We had a very long year last year as an organization. It's also been a year where we had to repeat so many things. A lot of people in the ecosystem will want to hear from you about, you know, the various allegations that were made against Flutterwave over the past year and a half. I'm not sure I've ever spoken about this before in any forum. Today's guest is Olubenga Agbola, better known as the one and only GB, the co-founder and CEO of Flutterwave. It's been a trying last year or so for Flutterwave, with issues of fraud, allegations of impropriety inside the company, regulatory hurdles, and the general challenges of scaling a fintech in a tough operating environment. Yet through it all, Flutterwave has technology reach in 34 countries. They've continued to ship new products beyond their core payments technology, including their rebranded remittance product, SendApp. And there are rumors swirling about the near-term timeline of their planned IPO. In this episode, we'll hear from GB about many of his recent lessons, his perspectives on product and expansion strategy, and we'll ask many of the questions we've been wanting to hear from him about, including the big one about Flutterwave's IPO. This episode of The Flip is sponsored by MFS Africa. MFS Africa is the leading digital payments gateway, which connects over 320 million mobile wallets across over 600 cross-border corridors and in over 30 countries across the African continent. Throughout this season, we'll hear from the MFS Africa team about their work to create a borderless world. In this episode, we're joined by MFS Africa's founder and residence for crypto, Guerra Kiwana, about the role of stablecoins in cross-border payments today. Our mission at MFS Africa is to make borders matter less. We've spent the last few years building some really great solutions and infrastructure and rails that actually facilitate cross-border payments and make it really easy for our partners to, to plug in and have access to our 400 million plus mobile money wallets. Stablecoins really present a, a really interesting opportunity. I think the, the killer use case for crypto adoption, especially in the global south in places like Africa, to move money across borders without really needing too many intermediaries. So basically making cross-border payments cheaper, faster, but also without having to get our end users to have the heavy lift of understanding Web3 and crypto in general. Mass adoption of crypto is going to be driven by fintechs like ourselves, MFS Africa. We're using fintech in the front, so fintech really, really good at UX, so user experience, building things that people actually use and like and want and meeting customers where they are. But in the back end, powered by DeFi or crypto. And by definition, crypto is borderless. It is 24 hours. It is non-discriminatory about where you're from, your background. So it really is the next frontier for African innovation. We want people to use the technologies that they're used to, the methods of sending money they're used to, but bring that cost significantly down. I think there's a lot of questions that I'm expecting to ask you and that a lot of people want to, will want to hear from you about. The first one, of course, is uh, when is Flutterwave going public? I don't know if you can uh, give any insights into that. Hey, Justin, great to be here. This has been a long time coming. I think like we had this, this chat about this um, podcast, I think it was in 2021, right? Yeah, but here we are finally, after so many attempts to say up. Going public is is a big deal, right? And it's a very important decision that I think a company of Flutterwave has to, has, has to do, right? Obviously, for me as a person, as a CEO, for, for the team, for our customers, for investors, for um, our entire village, 
it's a massive, massive milestone, right? Obviously, the goal is to obviously think through all possible options, all possible opportunities to get this done and make the right plan for it. So I would say right now, we're trying to be IPO ready, which is basically, you know, dotting our highs, crossing our T's as a company, right? Which is priority. And part of that, in my opinion, is obviously the focus, the, the, the extreme focus on building quality and great product to serve our customers efficiently as we grow and scale. So the short answer to that is we're working on it. It's work in progress. Um, and a big piece of that is ensuring that all our T's are crossed, I's are dotted, uh, and that's in progress. Yes. Yeah. Well, like this interview, that was a long time coming. You know, I think it's it's uh, good things happen to those who wait. So no rush, but I know everyone yeah. in the ecosystem is very excited for it. That's all. In all seriousness, you know, the, the premise of this series is to speak to some of the most experienced founders and operators to, to share lessons from their experience for the benefit of the ecosystem. And I think it's a particularly interesting time to do it during this, you know, so-called market downturn where a lot of people are, are reflective. I think the other question really that a lot of people in the ecosystem will want to hear from you about is, you know, the various allegations that were made against Flutterwave over the past year and a half. And I don't want to relitigate anything. And I know that there are certain things that you can't really talk about. But what I do want to ask is if there are certain things that you want to share or uh, what you want the public to know with respect to, you know, everything that's been talked about with Flutterwave over the past year and a half. The, um, we had a very long year last year um as an organization and for me personally i appreciate the chance to talk about this uh, i'm not sure i've ever spoken about this before in any forum so this is the first time i'm actually talking about this i think for me and for most of the waivers uh that's followed with um my, my fellow colleagues it's really just learning that as a as a company grows um we're going to face so many scrutiny we have to obviously ensure that we prioritize what is important to be prioritized. And I think for me, it's really just knowing the, the stakeholders that we have, which is obviously the biggest of our customers, both enterprise, retail, SMB customers, the amazing people that work in Florida with, who put in their efforts day, day in, day out to ensure that the company keeps running. Our amazing partners who are somewhat re required to help us to grow and scale and obviously our investors our board all over all over all over all over africa and globally as well right for me the biggest thing for last year was you know if i'm speaking particularly on maybe kenya for example is that we were cleared um you know we were cleared of any wrongdoing in kenya which is a big deal for us for me personally for the company for my team and for our customers as well, right? And that is going to help us to focus on our goal of being, of being being the best payment infrastructure for customers on the continent and making sure that, you know, obviously we continue to serve our clients, you know, and enhance the ecosystem as, as, as we should. While it's been a long year for us, there's also been a year where we had to rebuild so many things in the firm, right? We had to rebuild how we communicate, we had to rebuild how we, what we, are perceived to prioritize. We have to understand that sometimes perception, while it's not reality to some people, might look like reality. And obviously, when you don't tell your story yourself, right? People get to run with any narrative they see out there to tell your story on your behalf. So I think 
we have to come out of our share as a company. Uh, we've already thought about, you know, our job is to build technology infrastructure, stay in our, in our lane, do our thing, keep it moving. But it's, not, it's, it's just not that. We also need to tell our story as we're building and staying in our lane, right? So a lot that we've learned as a, as, a, as a company, as a team, and we're still learning as well. But the biggest one for me is we're learning our customers and we're focusing on serving them at a scale that nobody would imagine possible in the, in the ecosystem, right? Which ones I've seen in recent times, the things that we've done, the new Send app that we just relaunched, Tushion that we just built, our Microsoft partnership, you know, which I will probably talk about later in this, in this conversation, but the goal really is we we're learning, we're growing, we're evolving, we face scrutiny, uh, we're prioritizing transparency, integrity as a company, and for us, it's just really, we're playing the long game, right? Um, we're here for the long term as a company. We want to be here for a long time. We want to be here, we want to be the story of a company that started from zero and became something in Africa. That's our story. We started from zero and we've had to restart from zero. But what is going on here is that we've been able to, we're still here and we're thriving, which is very interesting. There's this narrative that we hear a lot about in the ecosystem about needing to be protective of the ecosystem and maybe trying not to share too much bad news because it's going to scare away foreign investors. And I'm wondering if things like that ever went through your head or what you think about this idea of being transparent and sharing lessons and the role that you have and Floodwave has in um, sharing lessons for the benefit of the ecosystem so that the ecosystem can grow and, and thrive and prosper. How do you think about that? There are different perspectives to every conversation, right? Um, but I, I, I now believe in the fact that our, your story needs to be told. Our story needs to be told by ourselves. We have to take the lead in telling our story. When there's vacuum, people will obviously make a variety of assumptions because obviously they're trying to um, invent or imagine a story that might not be there. Um, you know, and that's, I think, uh, my, my job as... The leader here and our job as a team in Florida will be essential that we tell our story the right way. Because now we understand that, hey, they will write us wrong stories anyway. They will put us out there anyway. So why don't we just tell our story ourselves? Why don't we go out there and, and do what we have to do, right? And I think that is what is important here. Learning that, understanding that, being able to just be very open and transparent. Obviously, not every story can be told immediately. Some would require, obviously, ensuring that every stakeholder involved is, um, is aligned. But I think on the long run, it, it does serve the ecosystem if we are able to tell our stories uh, with all the facts at hand. Yeah, and, and telling stories about both both the good and, and the bad, right? I know that the telling bad stories is, is always painful, but you guys have a lot of good stories to tell as well, right? Um, and I think inside of everything that's happened, you guys have still grown considerably. Um, I know you say tech technology reach in 34 countries, a number of different products that have extended far and wide beyond your, your core products. You mentioned just relaunching the remittance product, send app uh, partnerships with with Microsoft and different things like that. So can you talk a little bit more just about from a business perspective, how you've approached this question of, of growth and, and expansion in particular from a product perspective? When we're starting Florida Wave, a major core thesis has always been about, you know, making Africa feel like a country, right? It's not a country. 
that when it comes to Florida, let's make it feel like we're on a Florida wave. And we invested a lot in that philosophy because we believe so much in the fact that payments should be simple in Africa. Payments is extremely broken in Africa, but it can be simple in Africa, right? And that obviously meant a lot of expansion that people did not even imagine possible. We're, we're, we're the largest payment network today in Africa. We have the most licenses in Africa today. We have the most rich in Africa today, right? But imagine what that what require what we require to do that, right? It's a lot of work, a lot of expansion, infrastructure initiative, playbooks built, tried, tested, reused, discarded if it doesn't work. Um, so many of that was done, right? And I think we've learned both the good and the hard way that you know that thesis makes sense. But that said, we have always followed our customers' journey, right? I talk a lot about, about one of our, our customers is Uber, which of course Uber has been a customer that's defined our growth, our growth as, as, as a firm. We help Uber to scale across Africa and we follow them into every market that we're going to go into. So our expansion and growth story can be linked to our customer requirements. And it can also be linked to our philosophy about making payments simple across Africa and you know simplifying payments for endless possibilities. So for us as a company, it's really just about how do we make sure our customers can scale on our platform, right? How do we make sure our customers can go to a new country in Africa? And all they have to do is just flip, you know, a switch, literally, on our dashboard, and they can just go live in that new market, right? So our growth has been customer-defined. Our expression is always customer-driven. Where does the customer want us to be? We list the customers a lot in Florida. Extremely, we, are, we have an extreme customer obsession in Florida when it comes to what our customer wants and how we deliver to the customer. So how have you managed it though? I mean, obviously the goal is to make expansion seamless for customers like Uber, but inside of that is a, a lot of hard work. And you know, I think that there's this perception as well that fintech expansion is very hard because you're dealing with regulation on a country by country basis. You're dealing with currency, cross-currency, all of that kind of stuff. So can you talk a little bit about how Flutterwave has approached these particular obstacles to expansion and scale? It's been hard. Speaking very frankly, it's been really hard. Uh, when you attempt to build payments infrastructure across 30 countries, 30 different central bank licenses to apply for, different requirements of compliance to adhere to. We're one of the most complex companies in Nigeria, in, in Nigeria, in Africa today, because of one big reason. We have a board in every country, a board in Nigeria, a board in most market, a board globally as well. Regulator, regulatory requirements fulfilled across board. I think one thing that we've learned is, you know, following the customer's path is very important, right? Um, ensuring that you build the required resilience to go through with that objective is even more important, right? Because you get obstacles. Like, you know, every time I was in Kenya, if we're not in Kenya, we won't have that problem in Kenya, for example, right? Just imagine having to deal with that kind of issue in 30 countries dry at the same time, right? It's a lot of work, right? But I think we're arguably the only, com the only company in Africa that's navigated Africa licensing like we've done, right? to be able to do it at that scale and get it done properly as well, right? Till today, if you, if you get an Uber in Cairo, in Egypt, and into Uber in Johannesburg, Uber in Lagos, Nigeria, Uber, it's a follow infrastructure, right? If you, 
And that is so important because we've been able to build that technology to scale it that way. But which is also, but what is more important here is we've also been able to build the 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 regulatory rails to be able to scale that as well across all the market that we're operating in. And I know that you know your expansion and growth has been customer led and, and customer defined. Do you think that you've grown at you know an appropriate pace? I think that there's this question about what does fast growth look like in Africa in light of a lot of these regulatory challenges in particular. Should you have grown as fast as you have, or you know, is it now that maybe you know to develop this resiliency and to build a foundation means like slower growth than? Um, perhaps some investors would expect out of these sorts of markets. How, how do you think about that growth question? Uh, I think that question depends on the industry you are in, right? And the market that you are in. It's a scale game in payment, right? You have to look. At, you have to land grab dryly. If you don't land grab in payment, it's hard for you to compete at the scale you want to compete in, right? If I have a customer who wants to collect payment in twenty countries and you only do two for them. They will find another player who can do 20, and, and, and you've lost the, the two that you have, right? So it's a defensive strategy, right? You To defend your turf, you have to scale, right? That's one thing that we have to do. We have to defend our turf by scaling. So it's not like we're, going, we're trying to go too fast. We're trying to defend the, our, our business. Obviously, some markets are more important than some markets. Some markets are, okay, require a lot of work. Some are more friendly than others, right? Some markets are obviously extremely volatile, right? Uh, as you've seen in our story, right? We've been able to obviously learn the market as we, as, as, we, as we grew, and we've been able to invest in making sure that all the infrastructure required to scale that market, we're putting it in place, right? To scale at a growth rate that is required for our business and to defend the market that you said that you have, you really have to scale the business. There's no other way to grow that um, um, beyond beyond that approach. Yeah. Yeah. And in these markets, with the regulatory complexity and the cross-border complexity and the sort of fraud complexity, there's, I, I guess, inevitably going to be challenges and speed bumps along the way when you grow a, as you need to in order to defend your turf, as you just said. It, it, it's inevitable. Do you think some of these these challenges and speed bumps in the markets in question? I think part of the ecosystem growth as well is to understand that there's level of growth you get to. I mean, it's like 0.5% fraud, right? Fraud attempt or whatever in your business. 0.05% fraud is, is, is okay, you know, by any payment standard in the world, right? But that said, 0.05% of $20 billion, not the same as of, of $1 million, right? <laughs> Right. So that is the scale. So sometimes when someone says, oh, there is a fraud of X, Y, Z on that platform, right? The question is, that what's the percentage of that fraud to the TV being processed, right? That context is required. So sometimes people don't communicate that way. I don't understand that even on the global platforms, right? From block to anybody else, right? Um, there's fraud happening there every day, right? And that is just the thing about payments, right? There's no way there won't be fraud in payments, right? The question is, that, are you doing the right thing to make sure that you have, you have all the systems in place? Are you stopping the fraud? Some could be even attempted fraud. Maybe not real fraud, right? But you're going to have it in your system. The question is, that, have you built the right monitoring infrastructure in your platform? Have you, do you have the right people, the right tooling, the right, the right technology to get it done at scale? 
That's the question, right? I think the industry needs to grow, needs to scale and grow and learn that, you know, if you know how much fraud happens in, for example, US ACH fraud, right? It's crazy, or fraud attempt as well. But the percentage of the fraud or the volume being processed might be negligible, right? But that said, and that's just the way it works. And I think part of what we need to do as an ecosystem is to share more information, what can be shared, so people can understand that, hey, it's relative, right? It's not, just, it's not an absolute, an absolute figure. It's not like, oh, it, this is what it is, and that's it. No, it's actually relative to, the, to your TPV, to your model, to your processing, to your payment type as well, right? And not all fraud are, are, are lost. Some are just fraud because it happened. That it's a, it doesn't mean that you lost the money, right? There are two different things there. So I think loss ratio, fraud, attempted fraud, 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 they are all different things that, that I use at the same time. People have no idea what they're talking about sometimes because they haven't gone deep into that data. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I, I like that. One thing that I like to talk a lot about is that some of these problems that people think are, are specific or unique to African markets or African startups are definitely not unique to just African markets and African startups. Back to this idea about, you know, needing to protect a nascent ecosystem. I'm sure that your investors understand, right, that fraud is an inevitability, just a certain percentage of it. But Flutterwave, you know, you guys have been very successful at fundraising and, you know, telling the Nigeria and the African story to global investors and U.S.-based investors, you know, over $500 million raised. The most recent Series D last year was a $250 million round. Can you talk a little bit about your experience pitching and selling not only Flutterwave, but, you know, this story of Nigeria's growth or of the Africa opportunity to, you know, global and Western investors? It's really about the Africa opportunity and Africa growth story, right? We are a 1 billion people continent, as you all know, average age 20 to 30, as the numbers say, this is the next billion continent. This is opportunity continent, right? After India, there's another continent that has the mass that we have in Africa beyond, beyond here. I think it's really about showing them the opportunity here and the fact that capital can unlock that opportunity if properly deployed, right? That potential is just there, and I think it's very obvious to see. For example, look at remittance numbers into Africa, the World Bank numbers, they are crazy. You know, the growth is outstanding, right? And the opportunity is there for anyone who can build and scale to be able to do it to, 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 to do it for the right ROI for the right investors as well. That's where I say it. Mm. Yeah, it's just really about yeah. the transformation, the, trans the transformative power of, of technology, right? How, you know, the likes of MTN has used that for scale, right? Africa went from no phone to mobile phone, for example. We skipped the land and evolution, right? It's happening in payment as well. We're skipping the traditional payment rails, we're going straight to digital payments as a continent. And opportunity is right there, right? We are seeing it across, and we're one of the first to show that opportunity. Safaricom is an example of that, Mpesa is an example of that, they already see that. MTN Mobomomo is an example of that, Itemo is an example of that. There's so many stories that you can tell that shows that yes, this is not just a story, it is real, the opportunity is there, right? Um, the same way where MTN captured the telecom market. In Nigeria, for example, MTN went, you know, became the market leader and they showed that the Africa opportunity is there. So I think we are just building on that same narrative and data that yes, any investor willing to bet on this opportunity with the right people and the right infrastructure, it's, it's going to be amazing, literally. 
Yeah. I'm always curious the extent to which global investors are interested in a specific company. So they wanted to back you and Flutterwave as opposed to, you know, the Africa story or, you know, are those two things inextricably linked? What's what's your experience been in terms of also, you know, you talked about needing to back the right people. So I suppose in that case, it's you and, and Flutterwave. But is there um, ever like a sort of conversation about why this is the right opportunity to back in Africa versus, you know, backing the Africa story in general? Yeah, I think backing us or anybody that's in Africa is still backing Africa, right? That's one. Mm. Two, I also believe that the opportunity here um, can also be linked to the, to, the, to the ambition size, right? What is the size of your ambition? If you're trying to build an infrastructure to do payments in across Africa, that, that, that is bankable. If you're trying to build for just a niche market in one country, maybe you don't need to raise VC. Right, but for me, I think it's 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 one and the same. I guess it's just a matter of what's your, what's your ambition size. Do you have the track record to prove we can do this at scale, and do you really want to do that scale? And that's the way it works for me. Yeah. This episode of the Flip is sponsored by Norskin Twenty Two. Norskin Twenty Two is a two hundred million dollar growth stage fund backed by over thirty unicorn founders and advisors who, beyond capital, are committing their time and network to help the fund's portfolio companies grow into unicorns themselves. And throughout this season, we're going to share pertinent lessons and wisdom from members of the Unicorn Board. In today's episode, we're joined by Niklas Adelbert, a co-founder of the Swedish buy now, pay later company Klarna, the founder of the Norskin Foundation and a founding partner of Norskin 22. I was uh, 23 years old when I started Klarna together with two friends. And uh, we were very lucky. Things went quite well. And the company grew from zero to $2.25 billion during this time. I thought money would make me happy and reach nirvana uh, when I reached my financial uh, goals, but I felt nothing. So instead I decided to quit and instead devote my life and time and money on a foundation called Norsken Foundation. When we started the foundation, we started to do some smaller investments out of the non-profit and uh, we saw that the demand for uh, capital to impact companies was much greater than we could support. So we went out to the investor market, the LP market and try to see if they want to build a fund together with us. But they all said the same thing, that you cannot combine impact and financial return. You have to choose. It turned out that the cases that had the best impact, they were the ones that had a proper business model so that they could scale the impact with the revenue and hire even more people and by that doing even more revenue. We realized that, hey, it is not a contradiction. You can combine impact and financial return. And a little bit the same thing with uh, our fund in Africa, uh, that when we started looking into this in the beginning, people said that, hey, it's not a great financial return if you invest into Africa. But I think that now when people have a smartphone in their hand and are much more digitalized, I think it's like the best business opportunity in the world. And investors start to see this now. And that's why we're so happy that we're able to get a $200 million fund uh, into Af investing into Africa. So just while we're on the topic of investing, you know, I, I know, especially the past couple of years, you, you were well noted for your angel investing, I think maybe 25 plus fintechs in Nigeria and across the ecosystem. So can you talk a little bit about why you chose to invest so heavily in the ecosystem and how are you seeing things now from the investor perspective now that we're in this, you know, so-called market downturn and, and fintech winter of 2023? My investments, um, you know, approach is really about my belief in ecosystem, right? I believe a lot in what I see on ground in Africa. 
I am seeing your product also doing and build amazing products. I'm seeing a lot of a lot of ex-employees out there building great, amazing products. From less of Femi, um, building um, a lending infrastructure, um, that's um, vendor, likes of Dami, building a remittance product, Redwan, remittance product. We have so many alumni who have built amazing, built amazing companies. I think the first part for me was, I wanted to back my team, right? Back then where they work in FlutterWave, back then when they leave FlutterWave. That was where it started from, right? Actually, the tech investment. And for me, it's really about seeing amazing folks out there who have great ideas and they have the, they have the courage to also go after their, their, those ideas, right? And also, when we were starting, we didn't get, I didn't get that much help, literally, right? We had to fund ourselves at the beginning, right? With family money, with personal money, we all had to invest, you know, people, you know bring our network to the table to, to, to raise capital for FlutterWave at the beginning. So I think helping, you know, not everybody has that, that privilege that we had when we were starting FlutterWave. So basically helping other, other folks to get started is a, is a big deal. But we see the ecosystem. I believe in the potential of African technology. I see what we're building. The best engineers are in Africa. I see it every day. The best products are in Africa, I see it every day. So it's really just, you know, invest, putting your money where your mouth is. That, that's where I see it. Yeah. I think we hear a lot about ecosystems growing through founders who have exited and reinvesting in the ecosystem or, or starting or launching funds. And I think for me, you know, as we talked about before, also ecosystems grow by sort of sharing lessons from the founders who came before and, you know, those lessons sort of allowing this iteration and this, this growth for the next generation of founders. So how do you think about that? You know, you've been around for, for a long time, both you know, on the banking side before and now with Flutterwave and now as an angel investor. Do you feel like the ecosystem is evolving and turning over to the extent that you hope that it should? Or is it um, a bit slow going, um, you know, given the inherent market challenges? I'm not able to measure the ecosystem growth, to be honest. But from what I see, I do think, yes, it is evolving. That's for sure. The rate of fundraising, the rate of scale, building great products, solving problems, they are all evolving massively, right? Mm -hmm. And that is very good. Um, we need more, obviously. We need more scale. We need more growth. We need more exits in the market. And I think that's where it's supposed to be. I think um, thinking, you know, ecosystem-wide, you are also noted beyond, I think, you know, your role in the ecosystem for your banking background, right? Before Flutterwave, Access Bank, GT Bank, you had a, a student PayPal. I think there's a really interesting question about the background of entrepreneurs and what makes good founders good founders from a, a experience perspective. I'm curious to know uh, how you think about your experience at these, you know, more corporate institutions. What have you learned? What were your takeaways? And, and how, if any way, has it influenced how you've built and, and led Flutterwave? I think it varies for every founder, right? I don't think that's what well, experience I think is great. I don't think that is necessarily what makes a founder a great founder, right? It's really just a function of different experiences across board. I basically, you know, I've had opportunities of working for the best companies in the world, if you ask me, from PayPal to GT Bank to Google to Standard Bank, Stanbank to Access Bank to Sterling Bank. Each of those companies, I learned something. And each of them contributed in a way to where I am today, right? To get him to where I am right now. But as said, every founder's journey is different, right? There's no, there's no, you can't, you can't write out the DNA specifics for how a founder should, should come. 
it's just it's different and everybody's journey contributes in getting to where they are where they're going to be as they grow and scale the business so i don't think i've seen founders who drop off from school who are doing pretty well i've seen founders who have experiences who are not doing well as well as well, we are doing really, really well as well. I've, I've seen everything, so it doesn't really matter. Different yeah. things shape different experiences, if you ask me. For you, what ultimately compelled you after all of your experiences with, you know, you said the best companies in the world, what, what ultimately compelled you to decide to go out on your own and, and start your own business and, and to found Flutterwave after, you know, several years working for bigger organizations? The biggest one was really just seeing that payment is broken in Africa. I recall when I was working for a particular bank, we were trying to help a large corporate get paid. They were going from Nigeria to South Africa, and it was, it was hard to do so. And it wasn't because the bank I worked in couldn't do it. We, we just lacked the technology infrastructure, the will, the scale to get it done. And part of what we had to basically do was look for ways to solve the problem, but still the customer wasn't satisfied because it wasn't a great solution. And we're constrained by the fact that we're bank, right? So I saw that there's opportunity for a non-bank player to come in here and partner with banks and, and build a, an infrastructure that rides on banking rails, right? But build a layer above that and make it smoother and smoothing all the speed bumps in the banking infrastructure. That's what we've done. So I think that yeah. was, was really solving problems. I wanted to solve problems for corporates in the ecosystem. But that said, I'm very solution-oriented. I think of solutions typically, and I'm, a, I'm an engineer, I'm a product guy, been there, done that. So I think all those really helped me in, in saying, okay, let me just put my skills to work and try this out. And here we are on, the, on, the, on podcast with Justin. <laughs> you know, you guys have obviously come very far from, from those days, but I think there is still a bit of a, a, a narrative that payments are, are still broken or the problem hasn't been solved, right? And, you know, we're talking every day now about new types of payments rails and crypto and different things like that. How much further do you think we need to go? Or what is the sort of grand big picture vision that, you know, Flutterwave is is building towards and, and you know, your vision for the, the tech ecosystem in Nigeria and beyond. I guess, does the payments problem ever get solved or um, what does the evolution look like there? That question can be answered in multiple perspectives. If you're a consumer, jobs get, if we want to send money, right, to anybody, use same method of it. That's, we have, we've solved that. We haven't covered every country yet. We're going to get there. But the major ones have been covered. Nigeria is covered. Um, Kenya is covered, South Africa is covered, Rwanda is covered, UK, US, Europe is covered. You can send money from there to Africa and it works. Like literally, it works. You don't have to worry about the technology behind it, it's just a simple product. Go in there, you have your card, you've got an account in a bank in UK, Europe, in South Africa, whatever you are, want to send money, it works. In a way, it, 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 we've solved it for consumers, for the market that we are in. For SMBs, similarly as well. If you are following for business, there's really nowhere you can send money to or get, or get paid from, right? Literally, if you're following, following for business, right? I think what we, what we have to do right is a lot of market, market education, right? Because people are not even aware that they don't need to have that problem. They think that problem is there because they imagine, okay, I have to use this, use that. Behind the scene, we'll get it work. If we have to get on a plane and go take that money there for you, <laughs> we'll, make it, we'll make it happen. 
But the point is, it's not like 100% solved yet, to be very honest, right? Um, but to the extent where we're allowed to do by regulation, right? It is definitely done, yeah. So then what does the the near-term vision look like? Does it Does it look like new products or does it look like new countries or combination of both? It's really about combination of both and more like more market education. You see a lot of what's out, out there now compared to before because we want people to know that. I mean, I see online every day. Oh, I can't sign money. It's not working. I'm like, have you tried send my photo away? <laughs> oh, you haven't. That's why you, okay, try it. it, it I mean, beyond, you can try so many other products that they all work. But people are not even aware they work. No, people are not even aware as well how to navigate the complexities in those areas as well. So I think a lot of education is required from us. For the future, is really just want to still be that payment bridge for Africa, connect everywhere together, enable consumers, SMBs, and enterprises to pay and get paid in Africa. And I think for, for the tech ecosystem at large, it's really about how, how we contribute our quota to build a connected and vibrant ecosystem. I think that's very important. And also basically keep on innovating our way out of poverty in Africa, basically, right? Uh, I think that's an Africa needs to come true for Africa. I really believe firmly in that. And I, and I will end up by saying, I believe very strongly in three major pillars for Africa, that if we can do that properly, that can unleash the next wave of innovation in Africa, which is basically payments, commerce, and logistics. If those three are, are solved, and we are working on the payment side of things, obviously, if the main three are solved, the next Amazon will be born in Africa in the next 10 years for sure. I think maybe we talked about payments is a hard problem to solve, but payments is maybe the easiest of those three pillars. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> you're definitely looked up to by a lot of, you know, Nigerian and African founders in the ecosystem. And, you know, the intent of this series, as I said, I think is to, you know, try and share lessons from those who are the most experienced founders and operators across the continent. So I'm wondering if there are any other lessons that you like to share a piece of, of advice or, you know, even as an investor, mistakes that you're seeing young founders make, um, any, any sorts of, you know, experiences that you hope to share the betterment and the evolution of the ecosystem across the continent? I would say stay resilient, be very adaptive, right? Um, one thing I think I learned from YC is make what customers want, right? So I will, I, will, I will evolve that to, to be put your customers at the center of everything that you're doing. That's very important. And um, it's a long, hard road, right? When I was starting, someone told me it was a 10-year journey. I was like, nah, 10 years, no way. Eight, yes, seven going on eight. So they're right, it's the 10-year journey. That said, the journey is as important as destination, right? Sometimes we optimize for, oh, that exit, you know, that's end goal. But I think if you get there, and by the time you're there, you are ragged, you are, you are not in any way, shape or form to actually enjoy that value, then what's the point? So I think the journey is as equally as important as the destination as well, right? Um, and also it's just a job. That's important for you to remember. It's just a job. Yeah, I think for, for a lot of people, right, they feel that, um, they're solving really important problems in the context of, you know, the development of, of the continent, right? So there is a bit of uh, weightiness to it, though. So, so maybe what you're saying is uh, it doesn't have to be as 
heavy as some people feel sometimes when it comes to solving these big problems? In reality, it's heavy because a founder's life, it's a roller coaster, right? One day, you are <laughs> you're on top of the world. The next day, you are just like yeah. trying to <laughs> get find hair to breathe, <laughs> right? Under, under, under yeah. the carbon, carbon monoxide, right? That's where life works. So, but that said, again, the journey is, is as simple as destination. Just, just have fun. It's, and, it's, and it's a job. Yeah, it's just a job. The only thing I'm going to mention is just how how very very inspiring I am of my team. The Flowerwave team, oh my gosh, the best people in the world, right? Um, you know, ride or die, folks. Literally, I've been lucky to work with the best people um, in, in 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 this ecosystem, basically. Um, both previously and currently. But I think the people are just amazing. Um, they, you know, people that have been, can, can be here, come break, come sunshine, um, great folks. Um, so I think Florida today is built on the back of all of us, literally, right? It's not more a GB thing or whatever. It's actually, it's a, it's a village, a village built for a wave and still building it. <laughs>